welcome to episode 16 of You Shall Not Pass Go. We're your hosts, Dave and Jengis, and we are hosted on GeekAid.com. What's your geek? All right, so yeah. uh, starting off, we have some possible spoilers for Magic's Commander 2017. Yeah, they came down pretty uh, pretty hot down the pipe. Uh, they were they're very uh, people. Some some people say they're not. They don't. They might not be legit just because of the fact that it's one dude taking pictures from his phone. But, I mean, the way the cards look, everything seems extreme. You know, this is what a magic card would look like. So I think it's safe to say that this is what a, a, a taste of what we're going to see in C-17. So uh, do you want to start us off with one of the more noticeable ones? Well, I mean, first off, let me just say that, uh, you know, I, I feel like I was I was pretty right on this. Yeah, um, we had talked, I think so. We had talked about before... Predictions for Commander 2017 and and the way that they're taking it where colors don't matter anymore. They're going to be like themes. And I said, well, chances are they're going to do something like like tribally uh, yeah. or something kind of aspect mm-hmm. like that. Like you get like, you know, I said like wizards or like dragons or something. And sure yeah, enough. Something we haven't really seen a lot of yet. Right. Yeah. And sure enough, dragons is what we're seeing right now. So mm-hmm. it looks like if these are legitimate, one of the commander decks will be a five color Dragon deck. Now, this is interesting because I didn't think that they would do straight five color, but and honestly, it makes sense. It gives plenty sense. of options because not only do you have the five color commander, but they also throw in a couple uh, wedge commanders too. And, yeah. you know, you got like some Jun and also some it makes, old ones. It makes sense when they were just like, uh, we're not going to stick to color anymore because they can't. How many decks can you pump out when you do five color? Uh, not many. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. you can't make that many five color cards. But uh, to start it off, the first one here, the one that's probably the the face card of the de- the deck, and it's funny because this actually comes almost as a joke um, to kind of set this up. A while ago, I had a Scion of the Ur-Dragon deck, and someone in our playgroup also has a Scion of the Ur-Dragon deck. And at one of our random gatherings, I had made the joke of, like, Scion of the Ur-Dragon. Oh, all right, that's great and all, but... Where's the Ur Dragon? I mean, <laughs> where's that Ur Dragon? He's the Scion of like, haha, wizards, you messed up. Like, what's the Ur Dragon? What oh. is that even? Well, apparently, <laughs> the, what seems to be the face card of this, I assume, of this deck is the Ur Dragon. <laughs> um, it is nine cost. It's five color and four color, or you know, four of anything else. Um, legendary creature dragon avatar ten ten. So pretty big as it is, pretty but huge. Now its abilities. So, and once again, take all these spoilers with a grain of salt, um, because we're not sure if they are legit. But as we, as for what we're seeing, it has a new, a new ability called Eminence, mm-hmm. which says as uh, as long as the Ur Dragon is in the command zone or on the battlefield, other dragon spells you cast cost one less to cast. So it looks like they're giving a type to the ability that those commanders had back in what was it, 2014? Yeah, mm-hmm. the ones that had abilities like like uh, Aloro the Ageless One that had an ability in the command zone as well as on the battlefield. Exactly. They're I guess titling that Eminence now, um, um, which is already pretty good. Uh, he's a flyer, and then w- whenever <laughs> one or more dragons you control attack. Draw that many cards, then you may put a permanent card from your hand on a battlefield. Yeah. So you attack with three dragons, you get to draw three cards, and get to put one of the permanents in your hand that you have now, or that you just drew, either one, and slap it down on the field. So it's like a weird 
Kalia for dragons. <laughs> um, it's or really for anything. For it's anything. permanent. It kept p- you can put down omniscience yeah. and be like, "Great, here we go, here we go." Um, I, I'm curious to see. I want to see the 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 brew that people come up with to try to get Ur Dragon out fast. I mean, like, there's so many cards that do it. Pattern. Yeah. Well, no, I guess if it's in the command zone, maybe not. But well, I want to see like you know a turn three Ur Dragon, and then people just start crapping themselves. <laughs> See, here's the thing, though. I'm not sure Ur-Dragon would... I think it's great. Don't get me wrong. I think it is definitely... Scion of the Ur-Dragon was a great card, and this is definitely something that would require a, to have, like, a Scion, a Herald. Like, this is a god of dragons. Mm-hmm. Um, but personally, I don't think... If I was going to rebuild my five-color dragon deck, this actually, I don't think, would be the card that I'd make the commander. Oh, really? Would despite you, the eminence ability. I'd put it in the deck, but it wouldn't be the commander. You'd stick to Progenitus? Or, no. Oh. No. Actually, the next spoiler that I want to talk about is an artifact creature dragon whose name is Ramos the Dragon Engine. He costs six colorless, but is a five-color commander because of his abilities. He's a 4-4 when he comes out. Now, mm-hmm. he's a flyer, but whenever you cast a spell, you put a plus one, plus one counter on him for each of that spell's colors. So if you're playing a five-color deck, you're already <laughs> having multicolor, plus counter shenanigans, easy to manipulate, doubling season stuff we've seen before. But remove five 1-1 one, one counters from him and add ten mana to your mana pool, two of each color <laughs> specifically. So Activate this ability only once each turn. No. I almost feel like I'd want that to be my commander. You know, it makes perfect sense. Because well, I could manipulate that in so many ways that the mana ramp, the mana ramp for that could be, like, huge. Have you seen the, uh, the the janky combo that comes off of that? Yeah. The the you you cast Ramos Dragon Engine, then you use and you cast Oka, oh the other commander from that uh for the other five color commander from that set, which is Okagachi the Vengeful Kami, who costs five so colors for, for all and you, for all one you, colorless. For all you huge Kamigawa fans, that's yeah. like a huge drop because that's like one of the major lore figures of the Kamigawa set. Yep, um, six six flying trample, mm-hmm. and whenever he deals combat damage, if that player attacked you during his or her last turn exile non-land permanent that player controls it, it's horns the uh, it's bullhorns the commander <laughs> yeah but i mean uh, seriously though if you play any five colored card off of that 10 mana you get those five counters and back. then and then the last part of that is door to nothingness which is a five drop uh five uh five mana cost artifact well door to nothingness has been that's a reprint yeah but i'm saying is that's you take the you take the the dragon engine, get that ten mana, and then win the game. Right. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think Ramos would be a, a pick, a possible pick for me for yeah? commander. Well, he's easier to cast mm-hmm. six of anything. So on a five color deck, you wouldn't have to worry about fixing mana to get him out. You can get him out, and then he fixes your mana. And then on top of that, I mean. It would be a lot easier to get Ur Dragon out in mm-hmm. the deck rather than the build up. It'd be interesting to do like some kind of. You could do like some counter manipulation with him. That's what like, I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. I mean, between like cards like Doubling get Season. A stupid and, amount of mana. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, 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 I can see that being a much more broken card than the Ur Dragon. Hard cast. Uh, what was it? 12 drop Eldrazi? Uh, Which one? Oh. <laughs> you could do so many. <laughs> There's so many things you can do off of that. But I. I think that's great, but I don't know if Eldrazi would be the thing to do because you won't get any counters back for it. You always yeah. want to get counters back. That's true. Um, and then the last of the spoilers, or there's two more. Um, one of them is a new three-color dragon. Mm-hmm. Um, Jund. 
This is, yeah, the Jund dragon called Wasitara Nekoru Queen. Um, she is a cat, cat dragon. dragon. <laughs> Not a sphinx. <laughs> a cat dragon. That's right. 5-4 um, flying trample. Whenever she deals combat damage to a player, that player sacrifices a creature. If the player can't, then you create a 3-3 three, three, uh, Jund cat dragon creature token with flying. It's adorable. Yeah. <laughs> Seems legit though. Have you seen the Have you seen the dragon kitten? Oh no, <laughs> it's, it's it's pretty cute. Oh, that is cute. <laughs> um, and then last but not least, we have uh, Tigum Ojutai Master. Is that a reprint? That's a reprint. Yeah, he's a reprint. Um, he's the one where instant sorceries and dragon spells you control Actually, can't no, be countered. I don't think he's a reprint. I think he's new. Is he? Yeah, I can never tell. I feel like. I feel like Ojutai Master has been a thing before. Probably, but um, I'm just going to do a quick Google. Yeah, <laughs> but regardless, new or not, 3-4 um, legendary creature for 4. He's blue and white. Uh, Tigam is T-A-I-G-A-M. Thank you. Um, instant sorcery and dragon spells you control can't be countered by spells or abilities, and whenever you cast an instant or sorcery from your hand, if he, is a t- uh, if he attacked that turn, that spell gains rebound. He's new. Oh, he is new. He's been referenced in many other cards, but he is brand new. Interesting. So those are the possible spoilers. And once again, as hyped as we are, please take that with uh, several grains of salt because it could all just be nonsense and garbage. Could be. Could but be. I mean, do you think they're going to do five color for the other sets? No. I mean, I think, like I said, they're not bound by color. So mm-hmm. this one would be five color. One of them might be two color. One mm-hmm. of them might be, it's going to be themed. Like yeah. this one is dragons. There's I mean, going to know, be. With, with how much like synergy they did in this, uh, this uh, deck, these cards we've seen, I'd be curious to see how much, uh, if they retain that amount of synergy in the other tribal decks. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we'll see. We'll see what happens, but yeah. still, all in all, still a ways out from. Uh, all in all, if these are legitimate spoilers, holy crap! Like, yeah, solid. Deck. I'm gonna ma- buy. I'm gonna buy that dragon deck. It, it makes me. It <laughs> makes me almost sad that I got rid of the one that I already built. But if I really want to build it again, I'm sure I could just take the base of whatever this one would be and mm-hmm. modify. If I decide to bring it back, I don't know if I will. I might just get the deck and just be like, ah, someday I'll use you. Someday. Someday. So speaking of commander, uh, onto our next topic. Topic. Uh, dual commander is now a thing. In MTGO. It is. The, <laughs> the French Dual Commander, which now has an American official rule set, um, is now part of the MTGO tournament style. So you can play one-on-one commander versus people. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a big deal for me, personally. Yeah. Because that means that's that's a small step towards making commander a paper tournament format that becomes huge, one-on-one specifically. Yeah. Um, you know, the, you think I think this, I think the first baby step was the Friday Night Magic, allowing yeah. Commander to be a a viable format for it, and this is the next baby step. Now, do you think this is uh, so? By being baby step, do you think they're going to test the waters with this, see how popular it is? I think they're going to test the waters. They're going to see how the play works and what the overall reactions are. But I mean, people are already hopping on the bandwagon. I know that Wild Pigs in Kenilworth. Um, the, actually, the day that our podcast is going to release this. This episode is going to release on June 3rd. Um, that day, uh, Wild Pigs is holding a dual commander tournament, paper tournament for wow. Commander Anthology. Now, are they, are they using the French rules? They're using the American dual commander rules. There's okay. an American dual commander <laughs> website, um, which is what MTGO directs you to. It's the same mm-hmm. way in which 
in which they have the commander rules on the Magic website, but then it directs you to the original commander site. Yes. There's a dual commander website. Interesting. Which might even be the same website that they use for France. I'm not sure. But I don't believe it had a French. I think it was .com, not a dot whatever French is. FR. FR, yeah. Um, so regardless, um, stores are already picking up on that. Like, hey, dual commander's a thing. Let's make it a thing. So yeah. I think that is Dual commander's excellent. definitely, uh, despite how slow com- normal commander games can be, dual commander's definitely a fast format yeah. uh, with a lot of room for, like, in really crazy combos. So I'm um, curious to see if it uh, really picks up. Dual commander is a one-on-one commander format. It is... 20 to 30 life, depending on where you're playing and who you're playing. Um, I know, like, the Wild Picks tournament is 20, but on the Dual Commander website, it's listed as 30 life. Yeah. Um, so, depending on where you go, it's going to be 20 or 30 life, not 40. Um, and it has its own banned and restricted list. A lot of things that are co- totally cool in multiplayer commander are not totally cool in Dual Commander. Like Soul Ring. Like Soul Ring, or <laughs> which, I mean, I don't... For multiplayer commander, it's really not a big deal. And in general, I mean... The only reason it's banned in Dual Commander is just because if you get it turn one, it really does give that advantage. Oh, yeah. But it's really not... I don't think Soul Ring is as big of a problem as people make it out to be in Commander. Maybe. It's just... It, does it give you that that boost? Of course it does. Yeah. But at the same time, like, it's one card out of 99. It is. You're not building a deck to fish for Soul Ring. No, you're not. It's a great boon when you get it. And if you do get that drop on turn one, like, good for you. But in a tournament where there are prizes at stake and where the level of competitiveness is high, I can see why that, even even out of 99 cards, I can see why that possible turn one soul ring would be a problem. Exactly. And that's why it makes sense for dual commander banding. Mm-hmm. I don't think it makes sense for multiplayer commander banding. Probably not. Um, so banning it in dual commander, great. Um, other things like uh, certain commanders like Xur. Who's totally cool in regular commander? <laughs> totally banned in dual commander. Not that I have a Zer deck anymore, but yeah. when I did, that I would be a problem. I, I definitely hated Zer. Yeah, so. Zer one on one, it would be hard. Uh, Aloro, the ageless one, yeah. is banned. Um, so is uh, a lot Daveri. Of, a lot of overbearing one on one commanders. Yeah, where it's just obvious. Like if you pick it, you're more likely one, unless your opponent picked a very specific strategy against you. Um, um, things that are totally cool in one on one, though, prime time. Yeah. Totally cool to use a prime time. No problem. <laughs> yeah, let's go. Things that are not cool. Sensei's Divining Top. It slows down games, Dave. It does. Um, <laughs> That's why it's banned in many other places. Yeah. And speaking of uh, banning on a banning, we talked about the we changes did. to Commander. Mm-hmm. Still shocked about Protein Hulk. <laughs> I can't believe he's back in POG form. <laughs> Have you put him into any of your decks already? You bet I did. The moment he got unbanned, I threw him in a deck. Yeah. I have one. I have only one Hulk, which I thought I had two, but I had one, and I was just like, hmm, where are you going to go? And I threw him in a deck. Do you know where I threw him? I believe you did it in front of me, but I have forgotten it since then. Ah, well, think of my decks. Think of which one would most benefit off of a creature with an enter the battlefield effect. Oh, the Maelstrom Wonder yeah. deck. <laughs> I believe I threw, I either threw him in there or in Rune. It was one, one of the two yeah. of them, but they're both enter the battlefield effects, so... Um, yeah, I uh, I very much enjoy that that prospect. But regardless, back to Dual Commander, um, I'm looking forward to seeing how the reactions are, and I really do hope that Dual Commander becomes. I mean, we're huge Commander proponents. Yeah, you know, we, we have would, been forever. We just want we would love to, to be officially, well, even more so officially recognized. Sanctioned is the word. Mm-hmm. Uh, we want, you know, I would love to put. I would love to make a Dual Commander deck. I would love like, to try and go for the Pro Tour off of Commander. Yeah, 
That'd be fun. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you see a lot. Of, I bet it'd be interesting to watch. Yeah. <laughs> On um, 100 card singleton deck. Yeah. Who would even think about that? But I mean, here's the thing. Like, you know, you, you, these commander games, one-on-one commander doesn't last. One-on-one commander's fast. It's fast. It's a fast format. Yeah. It's not as slow as people would imagine. Like, yeah. I actually think, I, I think, think I think any limited format is slower than one-on-one commander. And I think. Probably, yeah. And probably, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. And I think standard is probably slower than oh, commander. Oh, yeah. Standard. But they're, um, they're making standard slower. Right. Um, <laughs> With commander, we have access to all the cards that they don't want to reprint because it say, makes it too fast. I would say the other formats, modern, vintage, legacy, those are all going to be quicker than commander mm-hmm. one-on-one. But even then, modern, not by much. It's really going to come down. It's, it's deck types. And it's the yeah. same thing with commander. I mean, you play a slow deck, the game's going to go slow. You play a fast deck. The game's gonna go fast. I don't see any reason to play a slow deck in dual commander. Neither do I. When when you're when it's twenty or thirty life, when, when and you're you playing wanna... against an Azuri deck and they already have like three L's on the board and Azuri and he's Azuri rampaging all over you. Yeah. You don't want to be only having like one defender right. at that point. <laughs> so all in all, um I hope from this dual commander becomes an officially yeah. recognized paper format. A hundred percent. I would love to see uh, product specifically aimed towards dual commander, like a dual commander. I don't know if they do that. Yeah, I think they keep it just what they're doing, commander, yeah. and just put the onus on the players to gather the cards they need to make the dual commander. Exactly, and and let the and let the banned and limited, you know, banned and restricted lists be monitored as these new commanders come out. And if it's too powerful for dual, fine, it'll stay as multiplayer commander. Yeah, fair enough. I don't. I don't think they would put out. I. I think it's. It's too much on R&D to put out double commander products mm-hmm. like that a year. You don't, I don't, see, you don't see a dual commander masters? No, not <laughs> at all. Um, they'll just keep doing what they've been doing. They'll make the commander regular, and then there'll be commander bait in decks. Yeah. Right? I mean, in uh, in sets. And that'll be... I think that'll be what it'll be. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, that's... Ma- uh, well, we still have one no. more thing. What? Yeah. 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 <laughs> There's one more thing. What is it, David? Tell That's me. a good question. Tell Vegas. everybody. It would be improving Bang Commander. <laughs> um, well, improving Bang Commander, but we've we've already pretty much made it an art form of how smooth our Bang Commander games are. I know, but I keep you know every time we talked about a long time ago, we debated on whether or not we should add achievements into our Bang Commander games. Um, that was one way we thought we could improve it. It didn't really work out. It slowed no. the games down. You had to know what the achievements were. And it we're just, always like refer- referencing the. It just it didn't it didn't flow. Something that I was thinking now. Um, it's it's sort of one idea split into two parts because I thought of the first idea and it evolved into the second idea. Okay. Okay. So as usual, you get your rolls. The rolls are the same. All the rolls are the same except yeah. this time instead of you getting a monocard. Uh-huh. That is your. You think of like. You think of like I was Avalon-esque, thinking, like. I was actually thinking of two different things. Here's the first thing. The first okay. thing I was thinking of is instead of getting a a mono card, okay, you get a card of a color. Like there'd be a pool. Like every game, you'd you'd put in. Let me get my thoughts in order here. So every time you play Bang Commander, you have a certain ratio of outlaws. You have the sheriff. And you have, um, of course, a certain ratio of deputies. And then you have the renegade. The sheriff would remain the same. Sheriff would always just be a white mana because sheriff is just sheriff. It's face up. It's, yeah. It is what it is. It's the sheriff's badge. But all the other roles, you would pick from a pool of those colors of those colored roles when getting your ratio. So let's say you need what? three out. 
let's say you need three outlaws. Okay. There might be like ten outlaw cards to choose from. You'd randomly shuffle and take three of them. Mm-hmm. You need two deputies. There'd be ten deputy cards that are possible. You'd randomly take two of those for your ratio. Do they have like? And there'd be ten renegades. You'd randomly take one renegade. Like, I'll get. Uh, okay. I'll get to it. I'm getting it's ahead gay. of you. I know uh, you're. You're getting excited. You're ready. <laughs> so. What those cards are is instead of mana, I was thinking the first thing I was thinking is what if they were like specifically instants or sorceries, not a permanent, an instant or sorcery, something that could just be one and done, but like something big. So when you get taken out of the game, Mm -hmm. you flip it over and it instantly goes off. Like I was an instant specifically, like something huge, you know, like oh my god, like like you know, oh, uh, like like it could be something as simple as like a wrath of God. Well, no, that'd be white, but it'd be something blue, something black, something red. Mm-hmm. Like one thing I was looking at was like glorious end, which is like such a great card, which is just oh my god, end, end the turn, and then you lose the game on your next end step. But if you're already being taken out and you're the renegade, you just end the turn right there. So even if there was a follow up to something else, like the turn is over, mm-hmm. or just. I, I, I don't know what possible cards I'd want in there, but just things that, like, when you die, you go out, like, with a death throw. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. there's, like, a there's a last little blip of your existence when you flip over your your roll card mm-hmm. and something changes. Something, and you get to decide how it affects the game. Like, you know, you're a deputy, and maybe it's something as simple as, like, maybe we style it to where you always play the most powerful effect of the card. So you flip over a cyclonic rift, and you just overload it, and you're just, like... I'm, you or, know, I have I have some thoughts about that, but I want to hear your second. Right. Uh, so that was the first idea to, yeah. as a way to make the game a little bit more spicy. Yeah. Um, the second idea, which evolved from that, was instead of doing instance, um, you have creatures. Okay. Creatures that are of the color, mono creatures that represent that sort of role. Uh huh. And. And then this is this evolved into sort of a split idea too. The idea was that then when you go out, instead of the first idea was you flip over that creature, and you know, so this it's it's complicated, but essentially you flip over the creature, and it becomes your new commander, and you're not out of the game. You're out of the game the moment that card leaves the battlefield in any way Mm. whether or not it dies whether or not it gets exiled bounced back to your hand the moment that creature or if it gets even changed to something else that is no longer its name the moment that creature leaves the battlefield you're out and the reason i thought of this is because a like it limits you so you lost in the sense that your commander is now useless to you yeah and you have a creature that probably has no synergy with your deck Mm -hmm. maybe i mean who knows but now your role is revealed and you're still in the game. Even if only for a second, you're still in the game. Now everybody's like, oh, snap. Here's what this person <laughs> is. So like it just sort of and all the same rules would apply. Like even like if you if you hit an outlaw, you would still collect the bounty for revealing their identity. So get that three card bounty. But now it's like, you know, for sure this person's an outlaw. Or let's say the command or the uh, the sheriff is like. Oh, I really don't know if you're a deputy or well, I'm just gonna swing anyway. And then you realize, oh god, it's the deputy, and you discard your hand, but at least you know it's the deputy now. Mm-hmm. Like you know what I mean? They're just something something to that effect. Or maybe you don't get the boon until after they're fully dead. I don't know. I have a I have an interesting uh variant. Uh maybe so going back to your first idea. Instance. Yeah. Instance. I had a thought. So you know, they're not magic cards per se. But they are cards that have benefits themed to the role. Right. So, 
For instance, one of the deputy cards, say a deputy gets taken out early. Think about it this way. Outlaws are ahead or mm-hmm. outlaws are barely winning. You know, sheriff's kind of like on the edge of things. Mm-hmm. So outlaws took out a deputy. Deputies, maybe the deputy wasn't like a really solid deputy the whole game. And they kind of feel like, you know, I wish I could have done more. That deputy card is, hey, sheriff, draw seven or draw X amount of cards. You know, yeah. give the sheriff a boon. That'd be cool. Um, if or we made custom or, cards to do you it. You know, or a hey sheriff, or the other deputy one was like exile target creature. So say like another creature was really powerful, then at least one of the deputies can be like, all right, get rid of that one because that way sheriff has a fighting chance. Yeah, or the sheriff and the other deputy have a fighting chance. Outlaws, like well, that's that's why I was going to say that all. I mean, granted, we could make custom cards. But that's why all the cards I was going to pick, the effects weren't going to be random in the sense like random instance. They were going to be things that would be useful to the role. The reason I say custom cards is we can tune them better. I guess. You know, we don't have to like pick from the array of magic cards. Yes, probably the card exists that will pay, be the role that we pick. But they then we could be like, all right, maybe four cards is too much. Maybe five cards, or maybe it's X number of players, you know, that the right. sheriff draws that many cards. Sure. Um, I just don't want to limit us by. Uh, and then when you get to deputies and out, or outlaws and renegades, I feel like the cards need to be a bit more tuned to be anti, either like, where do you draw? I was thinking like anti deputies and sheriff. So it's like maybe dealing damage. Maybe it's like. I mean, what I would say is... It's discarding cards. But that could affect everybody. What I would say is if we were going to tune them, all the things would have to be like any number of target creatures Mm -hmm. or any number of target players or this many target creatures, this many target players. Because that way it's like, for instance, if it is a discard thing, let's say your outlaw, let's say we make a card that's like, you know, any number of target players discards three cards. Then when you turn it over, it's not you're not affecting your allies because let's say the outlaws are losing and they need a little boost. Yeah. You say sheriff discards three cards, and you pick maybe one or two people you think might be deputies, yeah. or you might even help an outlaw if they're playing like a dredge deck or something. Like you know yeah. what I mean? Uh-huh. It's not so random. If yeah. we're gonna tune it, we would have to tune it. Tune well, it. Yeah, that's what I'm saying though. But that's why I like custom cards. But how about the idea in general? What I do you like think? the idea in general because sometimes, like I said, <clears throat> sometimes it feels like you're not you know. It feels like, you know, there's a large momentum against a certain group. Faction. Faction. Yeah. And having that kind of like, you know, a little swing one way, you know, it helps. Yeah. And it makes the game more interesting, more dynamic. Yeah. And I think it makes the role process really interesting because now it's no longer like, I wonder if he's a deputy, I wonder if he's the outlaw. It's also like, crap. Like, what's he got? What's he got? <laughs> like, what's, what's going to happen? What's his ability? Right. And it, and it also make you think twice about taking somebody out of the game. It might not be as black and white. I mean, it would you still be like, you, you know might want to be in are. a better position before right. you take someone out. You might be like, oh, my board state's really bad. I could take him out. But if I do. And he has X. You right. Know. It could be really bad for me. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. So maybe we'll, we, we have a, we actually have a meeting today. That's right. We should pitch it to the others. We should. And maybe even have like a quick little brainstorm as people filter in of like, I'd say that what I'm looking for is like 10, I'd think to start, like 10 abilities, 10 card types mm-hmm. for each role yeah. as a possible pool. That's all. Or maybe like 10 for outlaws, I 10 for say, deputies, and 5 for renegades. At least make it so that there's, you know, in a standard, like let's say, five-player game, mm-hmm. there's two options for each role. You know what I'm saying? So like, it's if like 10 each. Yeah. Yeah. We'll make it 10 each. <laughs> okay. Except for Renegade. I, th- I think Renegade get away with five. And I think for Renegade, since 
they don't have a team, mm-hmm. the effects of the Renegade, I think, should be just like massive screw Just be like, fuck all y'all. Yeah, like, <laughs> like, like, they, like they don't get the any number of target anything. It's just like all players lose 10 life. <laughs> all players get like, because the Renegade always gets taken out and it's always just like, well, I didn't really have a chance. But yeah. now it's like... Who knows what's gonna happen? What's gonna happen? Or oh man, change places. <laughs> hold on, hold on. Let's let's think about this because I got another idea. What if the renegade, the role renegade? What if we added in? Maybe this is too much. Maybe we'll keep you the way it is. You become the new sheriff. No, I was saying, what if we added in where their effect? The outlaw sheriff. No, 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 no. What if their effect wasn't activated by them getting killed, but was activated by them revealing their role? Oh. So That's like, interesting. So that way, if the renegade is really having a hard time and knows they're not going to be able to pull they something become off, arch enemy almost. <laughs> it's, just, it's just they essentially flip over their role mm-hmm. and their effect. Their one time effect happens to try and get them back into the game mm. because we always say that the renegade has such a hard time winning. And then you wouldn't, maybe you wouldn't necessarily have to play quote unquote renegade decks. You yeah. could just play a deck and just sort of rely on the fact that you have like this one time little boost to help you maybe win the game. That's not a bad idea. It's not a bad idea at all. We'll have to talk to the others about it, see yeah. what they think. But I, I definitely don't think the sheriff deserves anything. Sheriff should just be it's a cool idea. plain and simple. I like it. Yeah, I was just trying to figure out a way to make it spicy. Yeah. You know? What's the variety is the spice of life, David? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so that's it for magic. But while we're on the topic, I just kind of wanted to throw this out there. So you heard Jengis and I just develop something, right? <laughs> well, are you in for a treat? Uh, Jengis and I have decided to start developing our own... I'm just going to call it a game. Yeah. Because I don't want to kind of get into the brass tacks of it, but just know it takes all the things that we love about magic, Dungeons and Dragons, <laughs> and board games and smacks it all together right. into a game. Why is NPG the game? Yeah. <laughs> That wouldn't be a. That would be really good cross promotion. I don't know about that. That would be really good cross promotion. But also, then we'd have to worry about copyright laws of the "you shall oh. not pass" and the "go" and All be bad. Jazz. Yeah. Um, right now, we're getting away using logos and things we shouldn't be allowed to use because we make no money off of this. <laughs> um, but yeah, just look for that in the future, and definitely, hopefully, in a couple months, maybe it will uh, announce a little Kickstarter for yeah. you all to kind of check out. Um, but maybe we're, we'll give you some uh, we'll progress. And, yeah, some spoilers as we come along. But yeah. right now, the announcement I think is enough. Yeah, something's um, coming. Especially because I don't want any of you taking our ideas. All right, so D D. Yeah, yeah. So D and D. Stream so of annihilation. We, we have a, we, we're in a bit of a situation because we're a monthly podcast. Uh, we're we're at the whims and wills of whatever happens around us, and we have a very set release date. Um, so, well, for us, the <laughs> what's funny is that Wizards has this huge event. They've been hyping it all month. Uh, it's going to be called Stream of Annihilation. You ever notice whenever they want to sound serious, they just add the word annihilation in there, and people are like, oh, like the Orb of Annihilation? Oh, I gotta tune in. <laughs> Remember the Orb of Annihilation? Just um, just keywords, tomb, horrors, and <laughs> annihilation, and yeah, they've got gotcha. you. Or Dritzt, Elminster, they got gotcha. you. <laughs> so Stream of Annihilation is going to be on June 2nd and June 3rd. It's a two-day event. Uh, they've invited all kinds of... Uh, so uh, if you if you if you're a fan of Dungeons and Dragons, I'm sure you know. <laughs> so if you're now. listening to our podcast on June 3rd, you should be listening to. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure all the news is there, but right. they're going to have a whole bunch of live games. Live games. I don't know if you've know, you know, <laughs> <but> <laughs> live games. Just like, say live games. That's you, funny. You want to cut that out? We'll think about it. All right. So, finding back the train of thought. So. um... 
they have uh, – there are a couple, like, now, like, semi-regular D&D, uh, like, video series. Like, mm-hmm. you've got Acquisitions Incorporated from the Penny Arcade people. You have from Wizards themselves, Dice Camera Action, uh, and a couple others. So they've went ahead and they've invited all of them to come down to uh, Wizards HQ. They didn't to, invite us. No, they didn't invite us. I don't know what's up with that. <laughs> Uh, to talk about to to get hype, play some live games. Uh, the big part of this is that they're going to reveal their next big story plot, similar to like the last story plot was Storm of uh, Storm of Giants, Storm King's Thunder. There it is. Um, you know, a whole about you know giants and all that. They're going to reveal the next one. Uh, the, we, the only thing we have to really like uh, show what this could possibly be about is they have one piece of art. Uh, which I uh, w- which I have here, and it's just like a bunch of people in a marketplace. Uh, looks like you know, kind of pretty standard marketplace kind of theme, but the people are riding around on dinosaurs. Yeah, um, it also looks very um, sandy, like warm. Yeah. yeah, it definitely seems like a desert area. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, wh- wh- what do you think about that, Dave? What do you think? Are we going to see another? Are we going to see dinosaur mounts? Do dinosaur mounts? Is this going to be a new world? I don't know. It's possible it could be a new campaign setting. It's be- possible it could just be a new because story. Storm King's Thunder was based in Faerun. It was so, and I don't think they would divert from their most profitable campaign setting mm-hmm. unless they're going back to a remember, different setting. Do you remember anywhere where dinosaurs were a thing in Faerun? Dinosaurs are in all the games in some way, shape, or form. The dinosaur are, mounts. <laughs> listen, anything's a mount. Yeah, you put a saddle true. on anything, and you, have a, and you have a DM that allows you to get a good roll, and you have a mount. I don't like, know how you charmed that beholder to be a mount, but it's a guess. It is. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just one of those things that I, I don't. I'm gonna hold reservations on it. Um, I'm not gonna let myself get all hyped up over like the ridiculousness of having a dinosaur mount or an allosaurus mount, as it might be, because that is a creature in D and D. But. Uh, I think it's just... A literal T-Rex. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I know. It's not an Allosaurus, but it's still, it's just... There's not... I don't know. I don't know what to think. I'm not going to... I'm not even going to get too hyped about it. Mm-hmm. I'll be honest. My, I've started to stray from D&D plot books. Mm-hmm. Like modules and adventures. I mean, they're interesting, but really, all they are are modules, right? And and, and while I I like I appreciate what they do, and I like the synergies that they have going. I mean, for me, D and D, I'm always more interested in what rules are we bringing into the game, what new things can we try. I hope that during this stream of annihilation, that they'll announce their next year product lineup, and I hope part of that is Player's, Player's Handbook, Handbook Two, too, totally, which we've been kind of like. Which you, know. you and I have been semi spoiling. <laughs> yeah, this entire time with yeah. our unearthed arcanas. But I hope that they take that opportunity and be like, all right, here we go. We have like this. Oh, we listen to Dave and Jengis. That's yes, right. Why is MPG's our favorite podcast? We just do it all the time. <laughs> Chris Perkins, number one fan. Can you, <laughs> can you imagine? That'd be wild. Matt we Mercer, should, we should AKA Cree. Um, <laughs> Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, it seems to be interesting. I know something's on the horizon because I, I follow Matt Mercer on Twitter and he's been talking about a campaign setting, something he's working on with wizards. Um, something wicked. Yeah. This way it comes. <laughs> so, uh, I'm, I'm pretty excited. Uh, I'll be watching. Uh, I don't know if I'll watch all the games because like, I'll catch up all the news the next day on some random thread uh, here's, somewhere. Here's another little thing here. Um, 
new accessories fans have been clamoring for for coming this later this year. Amazing board games and products from our partners. You hear from Cryptic Studios about plans for Neverwinter, um, Curse Media for D and D Beyond, as well as WizKids uh, and others for other things. Yeah, I'm hoping uh, so, D and D Beyond finally moves into its next. I feel like that if there's any the place to like, two. if there's any place to announce anything about it, that's going to be the place. Because I'm still waiting on their character creator. I mean, I've still been using Hero Lab, which has been great. I mean, the community is really good about updating the community pack, and so I've got all the source material there that I need. And mm-hmm. I can create a character very, very easily with Hero Lab. It's going to be hard to compete with, yeah. but it would be nice to have official D&D like, character creation. Yeah, I agree. Um, so, yeah, that's I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I know you're looking forward to it. So, um, but yeah. speaking of which, in terms of uh, D&D and rules and, and things that we like about D&D, there's uh, two kind of ideas and concepts that Jengis and I are going to talk about today. The first one is having a D&D game in a solo module versus a party mod. How much does dynamic matter? And, and what do we like about each? And what do we dislike about each? And I... Um, I'll let you start. Okay. So, um, I don't have a lot of experience with solo mods. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know you, you've played a lot of solo mods with uh, a couple I've, of our friends. I've played hundreds. In fact, yeah. look forward to uh, You Shall Not Pass Go special um, <laughs> of our friend Rocco running uh, me through a solo mod. That oh. should be uh, hitting your uh, ears soon enough. Oh, I like that. Um, I, this is the first I've heard of it. <laughs> It's a scoop for me, too. Yeah. See that? Got <laughs> um, some surprises. But, uh, he came over the other day. I recorded. That's cool. And I figured, well, why not? <laughs> um, so uh, I, I've always liked the interest of a solo mod. Uh, I'm a huge role player. I love role playing. You know, uh, the concept of, like, just a lot of combat, um, you know, is nice and all, but I really do like just, like, bouncing back and forth, like, playing a character. I like that. You do get a bit of that in a group setting, but I feel like in a solo setting, it's a bit more focused. Mm-hmm. I feel like you could get a lot It's your more. story. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what I always like. Uh, a lot of games I like to play, I like to play because it's my story. I'm the character. I'm the main character, so to speak. All the choices are yours. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And all the decisions I make are my, like, Mass Effect, you know, I'm the main character of that story. All the decisions I make are mine. Sure. So, like, you know, it's I feel like it has a lot of that story-based video game kind of feel, but it's also in the D&D universe. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of it's also based on the, the DM uh, and what they prepare for you, you know. Who knows? Um, but, you know, it feels like you're the main character of a storybook. You yeah, know? of course. <laughs> or a movie. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, solo is nice. Uh, party, I mean, it, it, that's that's D&D, you know. And D&D was founded on people sitting around a table rolling, rolling dice, dice yep. you know. You know, you can't, you can't knock it. I mean, granted, when things get big, a lot of stuff gets muddled, you know. But all in all, it's hard to really pick between the two. Dave, what are your thoughts? Well, I mean, look, I think they both have their dynamics. I'll start with party. Like you said, I mean, you pretty much summed it up great. It's how D&D was founded. What makes D&D great is the social nature of it. The fact that you can gather a bunch of people, sometimes some very, like, turtled up, socially awkward people, Mm -hmm. and have them open up in their own unique way. I mean, I was reading an article the other day about how therapists are starting to use D&D to get through to troubled children who can't speak socially and normally and can't open up regularly but through role playing and through their characters they're able to sort of get an insight as to what the kid is going through and feeling um so i mean 
that right there just shows you the ability of the um, the capability of the social nature of D and D and having a huge party like that. I mean, that's some of the best times of that. It's having a bunch of your friends around a table, roll, like you said, rolling dice and interacting with them, and you know some of the best things that happen in role play. Um, we talked about this a long while back when we had James as a guest star on our mm-hmm. part on our podcast. Um, you know, some of the best D and D moments come from player to player interaction moments where the DM sets something up and is able to step away and watch the players sort of um, kind of go at each other and argue over yeah. like the either the best course of action or the morals of the situation or whatever it may be. Um, so. Having a party dynamic, I think, is the way that D&D is always meant to be played. I think it's what Gary Gygax intended, and I think that yeah. is the the most natural form of it. However, solo mods are nice for a completely separate reason. Um, because I'll say the cons to having the party um, aspect is, of course, you are not necessarily the main character of the story. You are all main characters. You have to learn how to play nice in some way, shape, or form. There is a teamwork aspect, and the game is slower because of it. Um, not even just because of, of arguing or having teamwork, but just simply because either A, combat, which will always take longer when there's more characters involved, or B, because of the simple fact that it's if it is your friends, you can sometimes get off track. And, you know, you joke about some inside joke or kind of like, you know, just dick around for 15 minutes. And that's 15 minutes that you could have been playing. A solo mod is very focused. Do jokes happen? Of course. You and your DM are still usually going to be friends. So jokes are going to happen. And you're going to get off topic. But for the most part, it is streamlined. You are you're in the driver's seat and you're just going to go. You're not going to stop You're going to hit the gas. You're going to go. Um, the, like you said, the, the adventure is yours. It is Mm -hmm. yours. It is your character, your decisions, your actions. You are shaping the world and you feel more important. Even if you're literally just a level one beginner of nothing, of nothingsville coming in to find adventure, you still feel more important because the focus of the story is on you. Every NPC interaction is with you. Every decision you make is yours. The way the world changes around you is because of the things that you specifically did. When you fight a monster, it's always fun in a group effort if it's a big monster to get that like, hurrah, or I got mm-hmm. the killing blow. But when you fight a monster in a solo mod, it's always like, that was my kill like i faced the challenge i rose up i defeated it so that's something interesting that comes from solo modding um and i have to say i enjoy both kind of equally but for different reasons another another simple thing that sort of defines them is the logistics of it getting a lot five of, people yeah. together a, a is, party of four in a dm can be tough it's a herculean task as you get older right as you get older <laughs> and you're an adult like in person i mean even on the internet though can be Quite quite hard. Um, people still have lives, even you know. Yeah, getting two people together to play a game of D and D much easier. It's just, are you free? I'm free. You free? I'm free. <laughs> Done. Like, and you and you play. Um, so I think I think I, I do enjoy both both aspects. Um, I sometimes like I miss having that party dynamic. I like interacting with people, mm-hmm. but I do like solo modding. I always feel very special, and it's always great to have sort of like this streamlined adventure. And from a DM's perspective. I also think all of those things hold true. As a party, it's nice to sort of like set things up for different players, yeah. watch how each player interacts, have that have that sort of balancing act. But for a solo mod, the, the advantage the DM has there is that you can tailor what you're doing specifically to your player. You know what their goals are. You know what their wants are. You know their play style. You know what they're after. And you can you can give them the exact dessert that they're looking for. 
you know what's a funny little in-between between both a solo mod and a party mod is what we did for our anniversary, where it was me and Evan and you DMing, because that's still a very focused story because it's me and him, but it's still also very, like... Uh, that's still, still get that. that's still party though. Yeah. The only reason that like seemed more focused is because we were running that for Evan. Yeah. You, I mean, we like, weren't running that for Kurt. That's true. But I feel like it. It's still fun to be it in was, kind of like a duo. You it know? was. It was fun. That was more of. That was more of. Yeah. In the sense that that was for Evan. It was a solo mod in that sense, and it was a party mod in the sense that you were playing a character. But you were more like your character was more like an NPC. NPC. That you were playing. That's true. That's true. It wasn't like be, it wasn't like Kurt had his own desires or goals in insofar as like you were playing that module to do something. We were playing Kurt to help Evan play his character. Mm-hmm. I'd be curious to see more to 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 try more like three so so much as like two people in a DM kind of thing. Yeah, I mean I've done that before too, but that it's just like a party game yeah. really. The solo mod is. Something very different. And I've done them. I've done them for years. I mean, since I've been, since I was like in, you know, middle school, I would go. If I was going to a friend's house for the night, mainly like I, Rocco was definitely like the main friend that that would be. But like I can, I can't tell you how many times I would go over to Rocco's house, and one of us would be like, "Let's play D anD D," and one one would DM, and the other one would just play, and we would just do. Some of the greatest things came out of and that. And you'll get a taste of that when you when you, when you listen to the special. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm Billy Panderer. I pander to the audience. It's not um, so much, but it's true. They are going to get a taste of that. Yeah. Um, so two things, you know, I want to talk about now or the next thing I want to talk about mm-hmm. is, um, well... Improv versus scripted uh, DMing. DMing. Okay. Because what are the advantages and what do do we like and what do we not like? I mean, in terms of being a player, you might not know. (laughs) The player might not know. I can't tell you how many times in my life, you know, I especially like in my younger years, like like elementary, middle school years, I'd be like, yeah, I totally have something planned. And like that would be like one sentence on a piece of paper and then the rest (laughs) of it was me just going with the flow. Um, but specifically as a DM, but even as a player, do you prefer more of a planned scripted DMing experience or do you enjoy more of a improvisation sort of experience? And this doesn't have to do, I don't want to, I don't want to get it confused with, um, sandboxing versus like, you know, a single story type deal. Mm Mm-hmm. Because that's its own thing. That's kind thing. of what it sounded like. But though. it's not, though. Because you can still have a single improv story. Yeah. And you can still have a story in a sandbox. Like, if it's 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 not... You know what I mean? Like, you could have a scripted sandbox in the sense that, like, if you if you were to go out of your way, you could script things that happen all over the, yeah. the universe that you're, that you're currently portraying. Mm-hmm. And have contingencies upon contingencies of plans. And so the players feel like they're sandboxing, but in fact they are going through motions of, you know, so like there is, there is, there are ways to do both, but specifically what do we like and dislike about both? Mm-hmm. Um, I'll start this time. Yeah, go ahead. Um, scripted DMing is great. If it's not my script, I find that if it's my script, do I like it? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I did it throughout college. Um, and I, and a lot of, but a lot of times I, I wrapped what I was doing around a module that was pre-made, but I, I've, I've done the whole like single scripted thing. I lose focus and I lose the will to keep writing it. I start off with a great idea. 
I start off with a great concept. I write it and I have it ready for the players. And then as time goes on, I get fatigued and I'm just like, ugh, I don't want to think about, I don't want to design what this town is and what its population is made up of and what the name of the inn is. And it's just my creative brain doesn't want to go through the motions of that pre-planning. I get fatigued. Um, Whereas if it's scripted, if it's pre-scripted, if it's something that somebody else wrote, it's a great easy way to DM. If I don't have anything off the cuff and I want to just kind of throw something together, I can grab a book and just sort of like go through it. But really that experience isn't that great because most of the time you would need to read ahead anyway. And that has its own challenge too. Like sometimes reading – I can't tell you like it's been a long time since my game with – Justin and Kelly and you yeah. and you know the whole crew sort of got together. It's been almost two years. Yeah. Um, who knows if it'll even come? Who back. knows if it'll even come back? Um, I, I kept tried tried to resuscitate it and it didn't work out. And that, that's going to lead um, to a point that I'm going to talk about. Anyway, but continue. it the problem with that game is now it's been so long that like even if it's only a couple months, even if it's one month monthly, sometimes if it's a scripted module. You then have to go back as a DM and reread all the crap that you read when you first started, all the introduction and all the motivations and the adventure outline because you forget. Yeah. You forget like you're like, what am I doing? I don't even remember. Like, and, and it just gets to be a bit much sometimes with scripted material like that. With improv um, – which I'm I'm fantastic at. Oh, like, yeah? I'm, David the knew? actor? Yeah. <laughs> who knew? Uh, with improv... David the drama I, teacher. Right. Um, with improv, it's, it's great. You grab your dice, you start, and you go. The only problem with improv is that sometimes those adventures don't have as much meaning as the scripted adventures do. And you can improv your way into a situation that just it doesn't work or they're they're just pitfalls you can get into with improv um you rely more rely more on MacGuffins and like yeah uh, you know sex machina you kind of just gotta do it <laughs> um and so but i mean there are fun things that happen because of that and obviously every game can have an element of both i mean you might have scripted material and then if the players want to do something else you might have to roll over an imp- improv that happens all the time i mean we go back to your jack's arms experience yeah i did not expect you to walk into a sphere of annihilation and then you did <laughs> and then it became and i knew the adventurers were not going to be able to complete the tomb of horrors without you that's, that's so it's be- a quick little sidebar i apologize but just going back to sphere of annihilation they're using a lot of the imagery of that face and like for all the like marketing they're doing and every time it, you did they do just, your, you triggers little, you little minor ptsd flashbacks that mouth is death <laughs> um but but in all honesty though like I, you know i didn't expect that to happen and i had to role play something and we improved this weird godly like yeah, trial <laughs> um which was like so over the top and ridiculous and but for the players like me especially it was a really amazing experience. Right, and it made for great memory. But it's just not, you know... So I think both have their advantages and disadvantages. I think improv is... Like, straight improv is great if you just want to play D&D and you've got nothing ready, but you want to have, you have that drive because, you know, you just need to kind of get up and, and, and go and play. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas scripted material, I think, offers its own rewards in the sense that, like, you know that there is... That the DM has a plan for you. And it's sometimes fun to see what that plan is, no matter what the scope of it may be, whether it's a single story, whether it's this open world sandbox, you know that there's something going on and that like it's it's like a mystery. You know, you have to figure out what it is um, as a as a DM personally. I mean, 
I, I like, I don't know. Um, it depends on the situation. It will depend on which one I'm going to enjoy more. Um, I tend to enjoy improving more because, like I said, I get creative fatigue when I write things down. I have to read a lot of D&D plot all at once and try mm-hmm. and keep it all in the back of my mind and try and be like, you know, oh, God, what am I doing? I think platforms like Roll20 take a lot of the stress off of the DM in that way. Yeah. Um, which, you know, in terms of that, scripted material might be a little bit easier because you always have these point-and-click references you can get to quickly. So it's not like I have to remember that the monster's on page 41 and I have to, like, open the monster manual over here. And it's like it's a lot of bookwork, you know? Yes. And it's all streamlined in a platform. But even so, I think for me, if I had to choose between the two, I think um, improvising is always more fun for me as a DM. Um, I will always start with a concept in my brain. I'm just going to, it's like, how am I going to start this? What's the, what's the game going to be about? And then the rest of it, I sort of, I fill in the blanks with improv, which is how I actually teach some of my students to do improv. It's like, I give them a scenario and I'm like, you just kind of got to think of who are you? Where are you? What's the problem? How can you raise the stakes? How's it going to conclude? If you have those things, the rest of it, improv yeah just sort of like you know you have the you have the playing field now you're working you're 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 better better example you have the maze now you just got to find your way through it yes you've made a you made a lot of great points there dave it's hard to really like expound on that Mm -hmm. um you know for for me uh a lot of times the only real like you know my ill-fated campaign which may or may not come back i don't know i'm still a little up in the air about it right now but you know i I have more of the inkling of the the scripted there. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was definitely really nice to have, like like you said, everything's kind of like plan up for you. They even throw in some contingencies for like if you do things a little bit differently, something else may happen or whatnot. Right. Uh, it's it's really interesting to be like the the story master, so to speak, in that instance where you have a story, you kind of know where your players are going to do the kind of the beats they're going to hit mm-hmm. and you kind of lead them towards that way one way or another um or you find a way to get there one <laughs> but it, i think it's really interesting i like that scripted portion but i know in my heart i would love to do more improv improvisational stuff like i have like little story bits i would love to try out mm-hmm. you know um but just like they don't really fit into the kind of D&D universe, so to speak. So it's kind of hard to find something that lets me do what I want. Because, like, I, I read you know, all the things I read. Like, man, it'd be really cool to do, like, adventure kind of based loosely on this. Or take this story beat, throw it in something else. You know, like... Sure. Uh, and and uh, what I was saying before, like, the thing about D&D campaigns is that they're very long. They're always long. You know? I mean- if it's a campaign, it's long. Yeah. You can do a one-shot. Yeah. I mean, I like one-shots. I feel like one-shots would be... Just like what you're going to hear on the... <laughs> <laughs> Callbacks. Um, but um, I, I like the concept of one It takes three shots. times to be funny. That's true. That's the third one. Um, but uh, uh, I like the episodic nature of one-shots. Sure. I would like, like you know, a couple one-shots that... So much like TV. Like episodic TV, where it's like a couple, there's a whole, there's an overarching story, but these one shots are there and they kind of tie into the story. And like you kind of, you kind of nip, you close off that story towards the end and then you start a new one. Like I think that would be cool. Um, Something to consider down the line. I'm always looking at different like uh, systems and stuff. I I get that, the episodic nature of everything. Mm -hmm. I get it. Um, 
you know, I think that sort of wraps up the idea, though, of like, yeah, improv versus story mm-hmm. um, or scripted, I should say. Yeah. Um, just a quick little sidebar, something I, you know, we didn't necessarily plan beforehand to talk about some, some more improv, if you will. Uh, <laughs> something a student brought up to me the other day, actually. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Had, we were talking about D&D and he had this concept that I thought was really interesting and I might try out sometime. But a concept where you, where the players don't have your regular character sheets. Oh, yeah. They have ability scores. Mm-hmm. They're saving throws. And um, an attack of some sort. Like, they just, right. it, like, it just lists, like, what they would swing for their attack. Like, how mm-hmm. much, you know, they would roll, what, what kind of die they would throw. And that's it. And... The players, like, it's like have an, either if it's solo, it'd be one player, but if it's a bunch of players, it's like mass amnesia. And you kind of have to figure out what you're playing <laughs> as you kind of go along. And it's like, you know, like, for instance, like, like, like he, he mentioned fun things like, you know, I mean, the race would be very obvious in the beginning. It'd be like you look in a mirror and you realize, like, oh, I'm, I guess I'm a dwarf. Like, <laughs> I'm short and stout. I'm a dwarf. <laughs> right. Um, I'm short and thin. I'm a gnome. <laughs> in, in, in terms of your class, like, you know, it's just one of those things, like, where it's like, all right, I try and sneak up behind this patron <laughs> bar and steal his coin purse. And it's like, uh, well, as you sneak up, your bumbling legs fall over you, you know what I mean? And uh, your clunky armor tends to get in the way. And you realize that your hands aren't as quite as adept as you thought they were as you <laughs> forcefully grab the patron and yank the, the coin purse away from them. There you go. Then tiptoe back. That's how to steal. And it's like, well, I guess I am not a rogue. Like, you know what I mean? Like, things like that where you, you it's sort of like trial by error. And it's like, I pray to the gods and try and have my god give me something that I might smite this undead with and it's like a glowing lance of flame appears in your hand and you throw it forward you you this. it's like oh my I'm god a I'm, a, I'm a cleric or paladin or some kind of divine magic like you know what I mean or nothing happens at all you get attacked <laughs> like, you know what I mean like you just sort of have to discover what you are yeah. as you go along and I was like that might be a fun way to kind of that's a fun way to get like maybe like a little one shot D&D game yeah. you know what I mean mm-hmm. Probably be easier to manage with a more of a solo setting, but yeah. I think in general, I thought that was like a really interesting concept, something that would be a lot of fun to do. <laughs> I agree. Um, I have a feeling that a lot of people would like try and meta, like, do I look like I have like a thieves kind of body? Like, <laughs> I would like I, I work out a lot and I, I would lift two handed weapons. Here's the thing is, I wouldn't even, first off, I wouldn't even answer those types of questions as a DM. And second off, if you're the DM, you, you can't do. You can't do the expected. It, you, you'd have to roll and make it random mm-hmm. because for race and class. Because it can't be like, oh, I'm a dwarf. I'm probably a fighter or a cleric. <laughs> I'm you a dwarf mean? druid. What? Like, yeah, you know what I mean? Like, it has to be, it has to be something, something so random. So the person can't be like already thinking that meta. Oh, I'm an elf. I'm probably like a spellcaster or something. You know, an elf fighter. Like, okay. I try to talk to the animal. Try to see what he may think. <laughs> squeak, squeak, squeaker. Um, squeak them, squeak, squeak. Uh, anyway, that kind of wraps up D&D. Yeah. Moving on to board games. Uh, first, we have a, a modern board game we're going to review. Yeah, okay. Um, the This is something that came out a while ago, but very recently has come out on mobile. Yes. Um, and that's Pathfinder the Adventure Card Game. Yes. Um, Pathfinder the Adventure Card Game is... 
I, I liked it a lot, which was funny. Uh, it's, a, it's a little bit of a story is that when I first found it, uh, we were playing a Pathfinder game at the time, that exact module mm-hmm. that it's based off of. And it runs you straight through the plot. <laughs> and, yeah, and it gives you all the plot beats. And so, like, I played, like, a game, and I'm like, oh, this is really interesting. Uh, and then Dave's like, wait, you're playing that game? You can't, because it's going to spoil the plot for you. And I didn't play it after that. Right. But I did play it, and I did enjoy it. Um, so, uh, the game's... Uh, it's Interesting. You start off with a a, a, class, a, a character, really. Um, I mean, if you're in the actual paper game, yeah, a single character. Yeah. If you're in the mobile game, you have a party you can create. Okay, that's different. Um, and then you get, like, a deck that is based off of that character, and it has abilities that are related and is it's throughout the game, you're building... It's a deck building. It's a deck building game. Yeah. You, you, gain, you gain more cards, um, but... You know, you, there are limits on your character. Yeah, you can't use everything. For instance, your character might only have, like, the Barbarian maybe only has, like, 11 cards in the deck. And that 11, those 11 cards to start might be, like, two of this kind, three of this kind, none of this kind. And as you progress, you unlock more cards that you can kind of gain through your deck. But at the end of every little part of a module, you kind of have to discard back down to only the deck size that you can have. Mm-hmm. And only the numbers that you can have, and the rest go into a vault of cards that you might have access to later. Yeah, um, you know, the, you each one is like a, a story, sort of, or like a fight. Each, like you know, oh, here the beginning of this campaign. There's a whole bunch of goblins about, and you have to kill all the goblins, and you have to find like the the reason. Why yeah, they're attacking. Exactly. Yeah. And it's pretty, like, it's the, pretty every true. Every little battle has, like, a little mini boss, and you have to go and, like, you know, find the mini boss, kill the mini boss, and you have to, but you have to have closed all the locations yeah, first, so otherwise he doesn't the escape. boss doesn't escape. And you have a certain number of turns that you can accomplish this in. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, so you're playing against the clock, and there's dice rolling, just like in, in D&D or in Pathfinder, for this matter. Like, you, you still roll dice. It's just, you know, how you go about playing your abilities are more card-based, but you're still... Rolling dice, and I guess, I mean, I never played the paper version, but I assume you could even do an element of role-playing with it, too. Yeah, I'm sure you could. Um, you know, it's still kind of like, you know, oh, man, I didn't find him in the church. We'll, let's move over to the, 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 the burning it's a, it's, inn. It's the exact opposite of sandboxing, because you only have a very limited things where you can go and do things. Yeah. But, yeah. But I'm sure you could throw you could throw role-playing in anything. What'd you think? Um, I liked it a lot. I uh, wish I could have played more. wish I could have played it through completion. But eh, you know, well, that, now you can. I guess my game is <laughs> gone. <laughs> that that game, that game, that game, that game hasn't been run in yeah ages, four years. Like Something how long? Like that. How long is that game? So that game, you're you're good, man. You want to play Rise <laughs> so of the Lords? I'm gonna download it. I'm gonna play Rise of the Rune Lords yeah, on my man. phone. <laughs> um, I'm playing Rise of the Rune Lords. Um, through I've I've only played the mobile version, mm-hmm. um, and I gotta say it's it's been fun. It's like a nice little. It's got the spirit of D&D in it, but I'll be honest, I skipped through most of the plot. I think part of it is because I kind of already know what's going to happen because I had to DM the game. (laughs) And the second part of it is, like, even getting into unknown territory, though, I'm not really playing for the plot. Uh I'm just sort of playing it because it's just a fun card and dice game to play. Um, I will say it needs balancing issues. Also, the mobile version is very, like, a lot of microtransactions. Like, there are some things I would never pay for. They want you to pay, like, $20 to get, like, custom dice that you roll. Really? In the virtual. Yeah, and I'm just like, I would never 
pay this at all. Um, oh, this is cute. What's nice is that a lot of things like the adventures themselves, you can either buy them with real money or you can, you know, work up gold in the game and get them with gold. $25 for the Rise of the Rune Lords bundle. Don't do it. Not <laughs> worth it. Um, I would say my best advice to those of you that are playing would be to first get the, when it, you first download the game. It's free to download. It's free to download, yes. And when you first download it, I would definitely recommend getting the... It is worth it to get like the new player starter pack. It's like five or ten bucks. It gets you X amount of gold. It unlocks the fighter character, and you can kind of go from there. From there, I would say definitely work up the gold to get the pack of characters that includes the Paladin and Barbarian. Um, Because I'll tell you what, and the Wizard for that matter. Those are the characters that I have. I have my party is the Wizard, the Barbarian... Um, the, actually I have the cleric, excuse me, not the paladin, the cleric, um, you no, the paladin, yeah, the paladin, the barbarian, the wizard, and the rogue. Um, and the reason I have them is because I really do think the game is not balanced and those are the best characters in the game. (laughs) Um, some characters just aren't great. Uh, the barbarian is great because the barbarian has... You know, barbarian movement, mm-hmm. just as barbarians do in D&D they're, and Pathfinder. They're, they're swift. Um, which allows you to move. Normally, you can only move at the beginning of your turn. Um, the barbarian movement allows you to move at the end of your turn, which is much more versatile. Because if you clear a location, you've passed your movement phase already. So you always have to wait until your next turn to move your character somewhere. The barbarian, you clear locations barbarian, you can move to the next location. And a later ability unlocks it so... You can bring other characters to you at the location you moved, um, which has so many versatility options. Um, the wizard is just stupidly strong. Magic <laughs> is just dumb, so dumb. And the wizard has a great way to recur magic spells. Um, just so powerful in terms of just a heavy hitter. The paladin is great because it can filter out monsters. It has an ability called Crusade that in the beginning of your turn you can play Crusade. And you can essentially just um, look at the top card of, a, of the deck, and if it's anything but a monster or a challenge, it goes to the bottom. If it's any type of boon, it just sort of goes to the bottom of the deck, and you can go after the monster. So if you're trying, a lot of these things help cater towards the amount of turns that you have to complete your mission, which is very limited. Um, it's a lot of gold. Yeah. Um, and, <laughs> and then I would say um, the last one I have is the rogue, because... There are just way too many traps, and the rogue also has a great ability that it, it has evade. Um, you can skip an encounter. You encounter something you don't want to fight, you can just evade it, and that's just the end of it. Oh. Um, and there's also ways to break that in the game. There are certain, like, summoned monsters um, are, are don't go back into the deck if they've been summoned for any reason. Once the encounter, that, that little battle is done, no matter whether you win or lose, that monster is destroyed. If you evade after a summon... It just destroys the monster and you bypass it completely. Oh, wow. Jesus yeah. Christ. So those are by far, I think, the four best oh characters in the game. Why would you pay 20 bucks for dice? Why would you do this? So apparently, I don't think Jengis believed me, but he just downloaded the game and now he's seeing it in front of his eyes. Custom dice. Virtual dice. Things that... Literally legendary have dice for forty goddamn dollars. Right? <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Don't be sorry. There's no. They have to be sorry. Um. Yeah. No. I. I would never, ever, ever pay for virtual dice. Um. Real money for virtual dice is that's dumber than paying money for Hearthstone. Like at least, like at least Hearthstone. Even though you never get to see keep those cards, at least like. 
it gives you some sort of advantage to your play. Yeah. Those dice do nothing. You're literally paying for graphics. Um, <laughs> God damn it. Yeah. Um, ridiculous. So I, I say the new player bundle is definitely a good boost. Yeah. And then get the, I'd say go for the characters you want to get. You want to get the Barbarian. Uh-huh. You want to get I, the Paladin. I, I love me a Barbarian. And you want to get the Wizard. Those yeah. are the most powerful characters in the game. Okay. They also have like special archetype versions. Don't even bother going after those. They're way too expensive on all fronts. Um, just get the basic version and you'll be fine. Okay. Um, but all in all, I, okay. en- I enjoy the game. Yeah. That's my tips to you, to you who might download and play it. But I think it is, I think it's great. It's fun. Um, it uploads to, on iOS, at least it uploads to the game center. So if you're, you know, playing on your iPhone and you get home and you want to play on your iPad, you can do that. And I know that they're working on a version for Steam. So hopefully it'll be integrated into there as well. Yeah. Um, so overall though. Two Des- thumbs up. Despite the microtransactions. Despite micro- I mean, the game itself is solid. It's yes. two thumbs up. It's fun to play. Me too. Hands down. Two thumbs up. Yeah. Um, microtransactions aside, because even then, a lot of the things you want, the things I wanted were those characters. And now the only thing I really work towards my gold with is unlocking more adventures. And there are three difficulty modes you can play each, uh, each piece of each adventure on. There's the normal mode, which you get all of the boons, like original boons for. And then you can work your way up from there to like an expert mode to like a legendary mode. Oh, um, fancy. Yeah. And you earn more gold. The a mythic the diff- mode. Yeah, right. <laughs> you, uh, you earn more gold the more, uh, the higher the difficulty. So it's very easy for you to grind gold, especially if you get a bunch of boons from the adventures and then go back to like the first part of the first module. Mm-hmm. Like, forget it. Defeating those goblins are nothing now. You just storm through them and rake up the gold. <laughs> um... And it has a nice little beginning tutorial where you play Amiko Kaijitsu and uh, Ulrich von Lichtenstein and uh, from A Knight's Tale. And, uh, that's not his name <laughs> at all. That's not his name. What's his name? <laughs> Ulrich von Kasker. I know, but every time I see him, I'm like, Ulrich von Lichtenstein from Gelderland. Um, yeah, but two thumbs up. Two thumbs up. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, moving on to our classic game. Uh, we're going to review... Are you ready for this one? Yeah. We thought long and hard about this one. <laughs> chess. We're going to review chess. Yes. So, microtransactions. Not, you could buy different knights. You can buy different knights. No, no. Not virtual chess. <laughs> Plain old classic chess. Um, Wizard's chess. You, no. No, no. Just chess. Okay. Uh, and it is it is the classic board game. Classic yes. strategy. The classic strategy. It is... Some would say, would you call it a, a solved game? No. No? Maybe. I don't know. Maybe. I guess there are only so many combinations of things you can do in the game. Mm-hmm. And I guess people have worked long and hard about what play works best where. But I think when it's all said and done, especially if you're on the same level as your opponent, if you're on different levels, I think it is very scripted. I think if one person knows what they're doing, I think they can do it and win. They the four-move checkmate is enough to beat any anybody that's <laughs> ever played chess before. Yeah. But outside of that, I think when you get to a level, especially a high level, and both players are on the even playing fields, while there are tons of combinations of things you can do and it's all been said and done before, I truly do believe it is something that still has an element of improvisation. At some point or another, you're just going to have to make a move and see what your opponent's reaction is to mm-hmm. it. And you kind of got to work on the fly. Um, but I do think that getting it to that level requires you knowing tons of combinations of things. And in that sense, I mean, yeah, I think the game is pretty solved. It's the classic, you have to think so many moves ahead of your opponent. At, that, at that high level, yeah. It's not about 
the move that you're going to do, because in that sense, you're right. It is kind of solved. Like you sort of know what the best possible move is in any given scenario. If you get to that, like huge, huge high level of play, but that's not the true game. The true game of chess has been, and always will be reading your opponent, Mm -hmm. knowing what they're going to do. So you can be two moves ahead. I feel like the, 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 the term two moves ahead comes oh, of course. from chess. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not, you know, that is the, you know, I'll always be two steps ahead of you. I'll always be two moves ahead of you. Like, it's just that chess is like the embodiment of that. Yeah. Um, and that is the real game. The real game has nothing to do with those pieces, has nothing to do with the board, has to do with the human psychology and reading your opponent. That's chess. That's chess. I couldn't have said it better myself. Yeah. <laughs> and um, it's... Yeah, and it's great. Yeah, I always have fun playing chess. I have fun playing um, chess. I have more fun playing quicker vari- variants of chess. Oh, yeah? My favorite form of chess by far is called uh, suicide chess, also called kill me. Oh, my God. Um, I think that's the best kind of chess just because I feel like there is not – it's not as solved. And as chess, like, it's just – you just – is there a bad? No, don't worry about it. What? No, it's fine. Well, I was just saying, just as chess goes, I mean, it's a quicker game because as as much as you think you know, like, what moves to do, your opponent might just throw a piece out in front of you and you have to take it. Yeah. There's no... I don't know what suicide chess is. Oh, so suicide chess... Sorry. No, it's fine. I should probably explain it for our audience yeah. as well. Suicide chess is this. I'm like, you have to take the piece. What? What yeah, is that supposed to mean? That's the rule. So the, the, goal, the goal of the game is to have all your pieces taken. The king is no longer something you can check. It's just another piece like any other. It just, it's like a pawn that can move in any direction. Um, and it can castle. Um, but outside of that, the goal of the game is to have all of your pieces taken. And the only other rule of the game is, outside of regular chess, is that if you can take a piece, you must take a piece. If you have multiple options, you as the player get to choose which of those options to take. But let's say I open up and I throw my queen all the way out its diagonal. I put it right in front of your pawn. And that's the only piece on your turn that you can take. You must take it. You don't have a choice. That pawn must take that queen. Mm -hmm. Um, If you have choices, for instance, let's say you have a knight that could take my queen or a pawn that could take my queen. You can choose which of those to take my queen with. Or let's say you could take my queen or on another side of the board, you could take my pawn. You can choose to take my pawn or my queen. But if you can take a piece, you must take a piece. I feel like it's the a only game time. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say the only time you can do essentially a, a move that is of your own design is if there are, are no pieces of your opponents that you can take at that time. Okay. Um, it tends to be a quicker game. Near the end, it slows down a bit, but it's definitely quicker. I feel like near the end, it becomes a game of pawns, does it? Not always. Okay. Because that's the thing. That's the strategy. The strategy is not to leave your pawns for last. Because it's much harder for you to get your pawns taken than it is for anything else. And there are ways to get... There's a lot more stalemates in in suicide chess. Um, If two pawns meet and those two pawns stay throughout the entire game, there's a very good chance it becomes a stalemate. Um, But even if you have a pawn at the end, if you have a cleared board... Your opponent's not going to want to get next to you if they can help it. I mean, I mean, maybe they do if they want to, if they can to get you to kill them. But I mean, if your pawn can make it across the board, it won't be a pawn anymore. It'll be a queen, and it's a lot easier to move that queen into a position to get you know killed. Taken. Yeah. Um, I like suicide chess a lot more than like mm-hmm. regular chess. I think it's more fun. Interesting. Okay, that's cool. I didn't even thought about that. Yeah. Um, you know, like I said, I was saying before, uh, the chess is just always one of those things where it's like. 
Um, you you sit down, you play. It's fun. You know, you you can devote all of your energies into playing that game. Sure. Uh, unlike other games where like there'll be lulls where you'll check your phone, you'll you know maybe crack a joke. When it comes to chess, you're always looking, you're analyzing, you're thinking. Mm-hmm. It's very much like a. You know, like I said, you put everything into it. And I like that part of chess. It's know? also a game that's almost nigh... It's almost uncheatable. Yeah. Unless your opponent doesn't know what they're doing. Right, but, but even then, it's not cheatable in the sense that you just say, yeah. you can't do that. Mm-hmm. Like, the only way it's cheatable is if you're a six-year-old and your other six-year-old like cousin's <laughs> like, hey, look in the other direction, and you look away, and then the pieces are different. But hey, that, that pawn's a queen now. <laughs> yeah, like... But, I mean, like, in terms of actual play, chess is one of those games that you just... There's not a there's not a cheaty way to play it. Mm-hmm. Like every game we talked about, could someone cheat if they want to? Most of the time, yeah. If someone yeah. wants to be a dick, they could cheat. But the rules of chess are just so simple that in a, and, in a way, and everything's on the table. Yeah, there's no hidden objects or items. It's like it is what it is in front of your face. Mm-hmm. Um, two thumbs up. Two thumbs up. Classic game of chess. Mm-hmm. Um, well, actually, you know what? I'll say classic chess. I'll put one thumb up. Oh, interesting. Only because I those games tend to be long and. I hate playing against people who are better than me. <laughs> Fair enough. Because I hate losing. Um, I feel like Suicide Chess makes things a little bit more even. And for Suicide Chess, two thumbs up. <laughs> <laughs> cool. How about you? Uh, yeah, I'd say two thumbs up to chess in general. Because okay. I've never played Suicide Chess. So We might do that the moment we stop the cast. <laughs> and with that... Um, so do you want to throw a little be better about this than we've been in the past? Uh, throw a little housekeeping things like, hey, you can mail us at mail at geekade.com. Well, I guess you're doing it right now, <laughs> so go for it. <laughs> so, uh, uh, yeah, we have an email address. Uh, if you ever want to reach out to us, you can me- email us at mail at geekade.com. Just put YSMPG in the subject. So they know to forward it to us. If you ever want to talk to us about something we talked about in the podcast, either this podcast or a previous podcast, feel free. Well, you know, we, we'd love to read it and talk about it on the next podcast. We'd love to answer your questions if you yeah. have any. Even if they have nothing to do with gaming. Mm-hmm. You want to know uh, what my favorite color is? I'll answer it. Hey, yeah, by all means. Um, and uh, you could also comment on uh, the geekade.com uh, when, this, when the episode comes up. There's always a spot there to comment on below. Uh, you could also leave us a review on iTunes. Uh, you know, whatever you want to do at this point. I mean, five stars on Shout out nice. to uh, Max Random Numbers at the end of the yes. name on iTunes, giving us a comment on iTunes. Yes, uh, we appreciate hopefully it. Hopefully you're still listening and we enjoy your patronage. Yes. Uh, you know, that's always nice. And, uh, but yeah, um, we don't really have like a, a social media for this, but if you ever want to reach out to me, you can, you can, t- you can tweet at me at, at the Omni Geek. Uh, Dave, do you have anything you want to? No, I'm I'm unreachable. All right, you want to reach me? Comment on on our That's cast, right? Uh, or on the you know when we make the Facebook post, do that too. Anyways, uh, beyond all that, uh, see you next month for uh, wacky, wavy D and D stuff. Hopefully, yeah. And like, uh, hopefully we'll be deep our into our station. Yeah, totally. And, uh, and then hopefully we'll have played some board games by then. <laughs> 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 With that, game on. Be well. Yes. And we'll see you in a month. Thanks for listening.